Lots of things going on in Alabama. We almost need to round them up. Maybe that's what we'll do today. It'll be an Alabama news roundup about all the craziness going on from the Mac McCutcheon investigation into QBR, Stephen Reed and his profanity-ridden, laced uh, comments about the city of Montgomery, the black vote, and Maxwell Air Force Base. Uh, we'll also jump into the Auburn Black Student Union's 250 kind of hilarious racial slurs against white people uh, and why, if that shoe was on the other foot, it would be a problem. Uh, we jump into Revival, the Asbury Revival and the Samford Revival. And what is Revival? That's probably the best part. So you'll definitely want to stay tuned for that. Uh, and for our paying members, uh, the people who have joined the fight and joined the 1819 News family, we've got an incredible segment that talks about all the indoctrination and sexual perversion going on in our public schools. Definitely want to tune in uh, and see that. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast. Some people have a problem with me saying it that way, so I say it week after week just to continue to annoy them host of this here podcast. We've got an excellent episode today. It's a big Alabama news roundup. We like to do that. Uh, we have a lot of guests on here that tell stories and it's incredible. But at the end of the day, 1819 News, the podcast should probably have some news. So once a month, I bring the Alabama unfiltered ladies on to do a news roundup. And that's what we're doing today. But before we jump into the content, I uh, want to tell you guys, want to ask you guys to join the fight. Uh, what do we mean by join the fight? I say this week after week, maybe uh, through osmosis and repetition and great marketing, we'll get you guys to join the fight by saying it over and over and over and over, and you guys will do it. Maybe that, maybe, maybe that, maybe not, but we're going to keep trying uh, because we do need you to join the fight, and that is where you guys can jump in and financially support the great work we're doing at 1819 News, deep dive investigative journalism, exposing corrupt politicians that are lining their pockets with their positions of power uh, at um, at the peril of the people of the state that they are supposed to represent. We specialize in that. We're, you know, finding sexual perversions and all other types of things. We're going to talk about all this on the podcast today, by the way. Um, and, and, you know, teachers are having to leave their positions uh, because they're grooming children. That's a big service to Alabama. Uh, we can go on and on about all the different things and things that we've uncovered, informed, investigated, all that. And the podcasts are pretty cool, too. Um, so we're asking you guys to support that work. That is the long-term financial plan of 1819 News is a media outlet for the people uh, that is supported by the people. So that's it. Please go on and do that. Um, I used to always say at this juncture in the podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, don't. But I know that you're not. <laughs> is it because I'm psychic? No, it's because they took down our YouTube channel and said, we are the Gestapo, and there will be no more 1819 News, the podcast. <laughs> that was pretty good, Brian. Thanks. Oh. It's my German. I do it often. That was great. Rare but form. anyway, back to being serious. Um, yeah, no, they, they they took down our page. On one hand, it's a badge of honor. On the other hand, it really sucks because you everyone has the YouTube app on their phone, right? And they can go there. Um, there's a lot of different ways to monetize YouTube that you can't really on other video platforms. 
but we knew it was coming. And if we were to curtail our content to what YouTube wants, we wouldn't be fulfilling our promise to you. So, um, YouTube be darned. That's my FCC acceptable way of saying that. Uh, and we will mourn the loss of that YouTube page no longer. Moving on to brighter things like Rumble, uh, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Um, it's very interesting that this is such a video-driven podcast. We wanted to have a video element for people who kind of might want it, but we thought it was going to be more audio-driven. At least I did. All the people I know that are wildly successful podcasters, everything's audio, audio, audio. Uh, but everyone seems to really like the video. Well, the good news is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, there's a video version of both Alabama Unfiltered and 1819 News, the podcast, and then Rumble. So go there. I am going on and on and on about how to get the show. You're already watching it, so you figured out at least one way to get it. But get into the habit, subscribe, hit the bell, do all those things so that you're getting notified if you used to watch on YouTube and you're using Rumble or one of the other platforms. All right. I think that's all I got. So as I said, Alabama News Roundup. Got some cool co-hosts coming in to bless me with their presence, and they always make it a more fun podcast for sure, even if they didn't read anything that they were supposed to. I'm reading it right now. Oh, there you go. That'll <laughs> just give me a minute. Yeah, riveting, <laughs> riveting content coming your way, guys. Sorry. Oh, this is good a great times, article, good times. Brian. So anyway, we have Amy Beth Shaver, who is always prepared, and we have that we think. Yes, she at least pretends to be. Uh, and then Allison Sinclair comes in on two wheels, <laughs> right when the podcast is supposed to be starting, and she comes in. What are we talking about? Some of it's my fault, though. That because, is not you know, fair. She, I was going to yeah, say. She texted me two days ago, what are we talking about? And I didn't respond mm-hmm. until last night. So, and still said, I don't know what we're talking about. And still said, I don't know. I'll talk about it this yeah. morning. So that is my fault. But one of the bigger ones, um, and I guess it's like I'm tooting my own horn, is the McCutcheon story. Um, but that's something that my team has helped me with. We've been working on it for about four or five months, um, putting it together. And it's just such a big story. And to be able to really wrap your arms around it and distill it down into a few points to just show you the ridiculousness of what's going on uh, was extremely challenging. And I obviously had a lot of help from my team on that. Um, we're going to talk about Stephen Reed, Mayor Stephen Reed, who is Joe Reed, the Joe Reed's son, who's the mayor of Montgomery, and some profanity-laden uh, remarks about not needing the black vote and not needing Maxwell Air Force Base and all these other things. And again, if you know anything about the Montgomery market, Maxwell Air Force Base and Gunner, you know, Air Force, whatever it's called, Gunner Annex or whatever, that is what fuels the economy in Montgomery. And so for them to, for him to, you know, pretend like he doesn't care about them or whatever, kind of a big deal, but it's not even what he said. It was, it's, you know, it's not what you said. It's how you said it. Sometimes that's true (laughs) though. Right. That's like my worst favorite thing ever. Like when I say something and I get angry and they're like, Brian, it's not what you said. Cause what you said, it's true. It's how you said it. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to talk Auburn Plainsman gives a pass to mm-hmm. what was it? The Auburn Black Student Union. Yes, Student Black Union. Yes, a little Black Student, Black Student Union of all the fun words. What if we? For what white if people? we started? What if our kids started a white union? It. I bet that would fly over real well. I think you should go for it. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Just kidding. Yes. Well, and would the white student union get the pass that the Black Student Union got for I, all I the slurs that I don't think the white student call... union would be able to get an education there right. for much longer. I could just see anyway. So I'm going to 
move on to another one. subject before I get myself in trouble. Uh, and then we're going to talk revival uh, and Asbury. Revival! But we'll begin with Mac McCutcheon. So I think it's imperative that as we dive into this, um, it is a big story. It's still developing. There's a lot of moving parts and pieces. It's taken us a long time to get from story one in December to story two and three uh, in February. Uh, and really when this stuff started coming in was, you know, August, September when uh, we were tipped off to it. And so it's just a lot of information and to be able to process it and put it together and distill it down into points with no conjecture. This is what we know. These are the facts. Here's the evidence to substantiate it. Right. And so, uh, in that same vein, I want to make sure that that's what we're doing here as, as we talk about it. It is very important. And I would really encourage our listeners to go uh, to the website, 1819news.com, go into the search tab uh, and type in McCutcheon and read all three stories. And, I, and I'll just do a, a brief synopsis of the three stories and then leave it up to the, the listeners to go and find it and read uh, because I think we did a, a fabulous job of just laying out the evidence, letting people come to their own conclusions. We make some points. Um, but it's all boom. It's right there. You can't argue with it. And so, uh, typically when you get into a setting, like we're here, we can start, well, I think this, and he meant, you know, it's like, well, um, you know, it's a big story and I want to make sure that we just stick to, here's the facts. So I think, uh, overall, um, Mac McCutcheon, I would boil the first story that came out, uh, in December, uh, around Christmas, uh, Caleb Taylor did that story and it was essentially, I break that down into two points. One point was Mac McCutcheon was definitely lobbying for QBR. QBR is a medical diagnostics company that does neuropathy testing in rural areas. Um, a guy named John Hornbuckle was the CEO. Uh, Chris McCutcheon, who's Mac McCutcheon's son, was the CFO. And on the staff chart, what do you call that? An org chart. That's what I'm looking for. On the org chart, Mac McCutcheon was listed as government affairs, which, you know, raises some eyebrows because you can't do that. Yeah. You yeah. You're not allowed to do you that. You can't do yeah. that. <laughs> no row. You're not allowed to do that. Yeah. So that's frowned upon, right, by the Ethics Commission and the law. So he was listed as that. And so that was like, hmm. Well, we went and found out he'd received over $90,000 from QBR for his services. Those services included, um, you know, getting certain clients of QBR, Compass Labs, who's a, a lab in Memphis. Uh, helping get them Blue Cross Blue Shield approved through Robin Stone, who's the vice president of um, government affairs for Blue Cross Blue Shield at the time. Oh, um, got a services agreement brought to Luther Strange to look at and just doing things that if you were a regular old CEO of QBR, you couldn't get done unless you had, oh, I don't know, a dad or a government affairs person that happened to be the rules chair at the time. And so the 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 two things that that I boil that first story down to is one is Mac was definitely lobbying and doing government affairs. He was receiving financial gain, personal financial gain to to provide political favors. One, okay. and then the second point is is that everyone that was involved at QBR, uh, the CEO, uh, the sales reps, uh, and others that were involved, it it would it would seem everyone's a pretty broad statement, but everyone that I've been able to really see has either been indicted pled guilty or found guilty in trial doctors they were working with everything of kickbacks and fraud going to the story you'll see more kickbacks and fraud what does all that mean I'm not going to bore you with all those details today but everyone that was involved with this company is going to prison for fraud except mac and chris mccutcheon 
And so that looks a lot like selective prosecution. There may be more to it. I don't know, but that's what it appears to be. I'm not saying that's what it is. It's what it appears to be from 30,000 foot view looking at this. The next story uh, we did was basically more evidence of the fact that political favors were being done for QBR by Mac McCutcheon for money he was receiving from QBR, which again is doing political favors for personal gain um, is that again. And so there was a resolution, which is not legislation. It's not a law, but there's resolutions like we're going to do um, it's, you know, national anti-aware, you know, anti-depressant awareness month or whatever. Right. And so seems harmless or whatever, but the resolution that was passed and brought and passed uh, by Mac McCutcheon was, a resolution that brought awareness to neuropathy, right? Which like national or basically this day is going to be, you know, like rural neuropathy awareness or something like okay. that. Let me see if I can and pull Instead it up. Of Allison Sinclair Day or Amy Beth Shaver Awareness Day. Yes, the, neuropathy me. day. So that just gives mm. you reasons to tout your neuropathy testing equipment. Imagine that. Because it's so important yes. because we have a day dedicated to it. To, to the thing. Such a shock. A too. day for the business that you're oh, in. Yeah. So it says recognizing April 2000. It's uh, House Joint Resolution 171. Recognizing April 2013 is Neuropathy Awareness Month. It says the resolution was referred to the Rules Committee, which McCutcheon chaired. The Rules Committee approved the resolution, which then passed both House and Senate. And so what this did is it brought a ton of awareness to, you know, this place of, of you know, basically it brought um, the type of awareness that you couldn't buy, right, unless you had someone in that political uh, seat. Bringing, and they gave it an entire month? Yeah, they got a whole month. I'd like not a just month. a day. I want a month of chocolates. <laughs> Did I say I month? Like. No. That's oh, okay. what I say. A month. It's very month. nice. Okay. Okay. All right. So so yeah. Okay. And and so how we broke that down is what we realized is that HJR House Joint Resolution 171. How we found this is there was an I, I believe an email that was from John Hornbuckle to Mac that basically said this is what I want the resolution to say and it's like Hornbuckle oh, says this. Hornbuckle says this. Hornbuckle says this. And then you go look at the actual resolution and it says almost identical what, what Hornbuckle wanted. wanted. So the CEO of QBR sends it to Mac. Mac puts it into a resolution and it gets passed. And it says, like, for instance, uh, HJR 171 says the delivery of neuropathy coverage and care by governmental agencies and medical providers. What Hornbuckle, what Hornbuckle, Hornbuckle uh, wanted to say, urge legislators, government agencies and medical providers to deliver neuropathy coverage, care, optional in-house ancillary services and treatment. Next one. The resolution actually said the increased understanding of the scope and impact of neuropathy by health officials and the public. What Hornbuckle wanted to say, increased public awareness and understanding of neuropathy's scope and impact, right? So it's basically rewrite it in your yeah. own words, like when you're doing yeah. it. And, and it goes on and it gets worse. And the, the last one's actually the worst. But you guys go on there, look up the story. I think this one was uh, Valentine's Day is when this one came out, mm -hmm. February 14th. Yeah. But nobody pays attention to those resolutions. I no. mean, but it is something that in your advertising, that if you can say, you know, QBR could go back and say, this is so important that the Alabama legislature passed this resolution. I, I mean, it's just, it's also um, ugh, inbred. How it yeah. all goes yeah. together, which I'm finding out is a lot in Alabama politics. And again, political favors are bad, but they're not illegal. But political pay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why are the so hard today? 
political favors for profit, on the yes. other hand, is unethical right. and illegal. And right. so that's the difference. I mean, we shouldn't be doing political favors. Everything should be based on merit. You know, do we really need a resolution that brings awareness to this based on its merits? Yes. Well, Billy Joe Bob is my cousin down there, and he'd like to get this resolution done. Great. Did he cut you a check for it? No. And you think we should do it? Okay. Well, that should be frowned upon, but that's not illegal. But the yep. moment that someone pays you to use your political power, here I go with the P's again, <laughs> to 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 do political favors for personal gain. gain. There it is. So um, this is um, summed up in the story. HJR 171 may not have had the force of law, but at a minimum, the resolution represented a public relations boost for the company. CEO John Hornbuckle and CFO Chris McCutcheon did not hesitate to incorporate this into their marketing by pointing to the resolution oh, in a brochure wow. advertising its services. In the brochure, it said, recognized for making April 2013 Neuropathy Awareness Month for the state of Alabama. Yep. Diagnostic referral company, DRC, from point four of HDR 171 is featured prominently throughout the brochure. And so anyway... There's that. And then so finally, the third story, this one was the heater. And this is the one that I really encourage. I mean, everyone needs to go read all of it. But this third story that came out on the 15th um, was much more extensive. I mean, this is this is your real legitimate deep dive. And all of this has been deep dive investigative journalism. But this one is kind of bringing this particular issue to head. And again, we're scratching the surface of a much bigger story. And this is really us just getting our foot in the door on it. But essentially, if I boiled this this third story that I did down, second story I did, third story 1819 did, down into a nutshell, it's that Chris McCutcheon was the CFO, and he brought the company to financial ruin with trips to uh, Las Vegas. Uh, the trip was a total of $9,723.45, included the Venetian showroom, Bellagio Cafe, Venetian Palazzo, National Car Rental, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, you know, was that a business expense or was that, you know, what what was the business purpose for it? We reached out to him. He didn't respond. Um, and then you go on and you see um, like five-star hotel uh, evenings. And I want to say it was New York. See if I can find this here. New York City spending most of their stay at the, the London, New York City, the London NYC, a five-star hotel. Um, and then this one is the one that's like, it's like, well, maybe those were business trips. Maybe they were there doing business, whatever, right. but it, it's that's still, not illegal. Yeah. But it's, it seems strange that this company is in a financial crisis and then they're going on. Right. These because he had declared trips. that it, he was in financial. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, but then the other piece, uh, is that, um, you see here, Madison, the private school in Madison, it's like the Madison Academy or something like that which was $3,500, I want to say, went to that uh, $3,550 to Madison Academy in Madison. It looks like a tuition payment for his children. Um, yeah, that's, that's not... That's definitely not in that, the, under the business yeah, expenses. It is not. Yeah, yeah, that would be illegal. Can't write that one off. So, um, it, it you know, and it, it just it, it shows that here's the CFO. Hornbuckle, it would appear, is trying to get the company doing what it's supposed to be doing. Meanwhile, you have the CFO who's bleeding the company dry of all its resources. We call it the pump and dump in the story, pumping the company, you know, dry of all of its financial resources, getting Hornbuckle to settle with him for $160,000. And then on the same day that that settlement was signed, he filed a federal whistleblower lawsuit against them that afternoon, 
which is called a KETAM, which I'm not even going to try to get into that because it's... Oh, my goodness. But a KETAM is a federal whistleblower lawsuit where the person who files the lawsuit is called the relator. They get to remain anonymous. They have protection. And then any financial gains that come from it, they get a percentage of it, right? Well, um, anyway, go look at the story, uh, 1819news.com. Go into the search bar and look, or you can just go to Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever you use and just put 1819 McCutcheon and they'll all pop up. So go, you guys need to be aware of what's going on. Uh, and again, this is just the beginning uh, of a much bigger story that involves way more people. Uh, and it's been interesting uh, to see the response and the the feedback that we've gotten and the phone calls that we've gotten. And it's, it's just, this, is a, this is a big deal with, with big people. You know, Mac McCutcheon, you know, when you have a, a governor who basically looks like a dementia patient, very similar to our president, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Speaker of the House is now the most powerful person in the state. And so... At one time, he was extremely powerful uh, and basically did the bidding for Governor Ivey. He's now not there, and he is now the 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 commissioner of Madison County. Madison County. Well, was he there? Yeah, very convenient. Who he was installed in that position by Governor Ivey. Governor Ivey. So it all just churns yeah. along. So, Political favors. Yep. Ugh. You Profitable. Know, pop 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 pop. Political favors. Well, pop 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 pop. pop. Hats off to eighteen nineteen for being willing to put this out there because I think it. It's, you know, we haven't had this kind of accountability in media in Alabama. What, we're number four in corruption? If not um, higher. If not higher. Um, Let's be honest, we're higher than that. Yeah. And, uh, but, but no, everybody knows it's happening, but nobody has the gumballs, as I like to say. Gotta squeeze those gumballs that- in every, every podcast. <laughs> it's my duty. Yes, it's my duty. Um, okay, nobody Movement. has the courage. Yes. As Amy Beth would say, no one has the courage. That's how she He's would mature. say it to it. Yeah. No one has the courage to discuss these topics. And I'm like, <laughs> nobody's got the gumballs. Talk about these things. <laughs> <laughs> football into corruption. Roll Tide. But, yeah. So. yeah, on that note, I'll say Roll Tide. But, um, <laughs> but no, seriously. And I think that's why when we were talking about why 1819 is like the, the stories you were talking about, are just killing the stories. Um, that have been coming in, people trust to bring you these things. So I, I, I don't know. I think it's great, and it needs to be exposed. We have to talk about it. Otherwise, we stay in this place that we've been. We do, and people get to say, "Oh, but that doesn't happen here." I mean, it's the same oh, thing yeah. that we've talked about for a long time. But you're yeah. exactly right. Here it is. Turn away if you wish, but these are the receipts. Yeah, and you can do something about this. And you, you know, we talked about project veritas and james o'keefe having being forced out and all those are things but the one thing that was always frustrating about james o'keefe stuff is he would blow up you know some story about this big national thing that happened and then like three days later it would just go away and nobody did anything because that's the danger of doing not the danger the the national national versus local we can do something about what's going on around us but it's also you know from a news perspective it's a lot harder to write about people you know you're going to see so I'm sure this will be fun. <laughs> but well done. Yes. All right. Well, good stuff. And now we're going to go hear a word from our incredible sponsor. Hey, y'all. It's Allison Sinclair with Alabama Unfiltered. A lot of people ask me, what can I do to actually make a difference in D.C. and in my state government? And one of the most effective things you can do is write an old school letter to your elected officials. It seems super simple, but a written through the mail letter gets their attention much more than an email or a phone call. I use the Quick Letter app from my phone to write letters, and it makes it so easy to write all of my representatives in D.C. and in our state 
a real letter in a matter of minutes. And so Quick Letter automatically determines your representatives and their mailing addresses. You write or dictate a letter on your phone and tap the name of every representative you want to receive that letter. And Quick Letter handles the delivery address, the return address, the greeting, the closing, the signature, the printing, stuffing, stamping, and placing your letter in the U.S. mail. Your governor, attorney general, state legislators, your U.S. senators, and congressmen need to hear from you. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. Actually, a brief, simple letter usually has the most impact. Send a quick letter today and every day. Go to quickletter.com, that's K-W-I-K, quickletter.com, or download the Quick Letter app today. All right, welcome back, everyone. Again, I want to, before we jump into the content, just want to reiterate how important uh, what Jim Hicks at Quick Letter is doing, how important it is for us, how important it is for you, and how easy it is to use. You go to the App Store, download the Quick Letter app, put in your address, and you're immediately able to send extremely well-presented letters to your legislators, to your representatives, to your governing officials to let them know how you feel. Uh, Steve Marshall was here, I guess that was late last week. Anyway, and he showed me one of the letters that someone had written him no way. because someone was watching the, the first podcast we did with Steve Marshall and they were so impressed with him that they did a quick letter to him. And then he turned around and showed me the letter. And so I'm telling you, they read the letters. You have to you have to go download the app, start writing letters. It's like a dollar ninety nine a letter and it gets cheaper with everyone down to a dollar forty nine. Make your voice heard. Write these letters. They read them. And the more people that write these letters and the more they read, the more they'll know what their constituents want and you just might change their minds and make a difference. So really encourage you to do that quick letter, K W I K letter app in the app store, download it and get to writing. All what right. does uh, Jim Hicks think about revival? Revival? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to ask Jim when we see him. So what are we talking about? Besides revival. <laughs> We're going to talk about Stephen I'm, Reed. Let's talk about Stephen Reed first not, because we'll need a revival. Not, yeah, we I was going to say that. not needing revival. And again, that's another one where you really got to read the story and go listen to the audio clips or whatever the stuff he said. I mean, it was so bad. Like, I wouldn't even play it for my podcast listeners because it's, it's profanity-laced. Could I just read the middle of the first story that doesn't have any sure. profanity in it? Okay. Just in case y'all are like, 1819's just got their their pants on fire. Okay, here's what he said. From you got black city, that's great. You can all have you can all have black everything and guess what? You won't have green nothing. If the white the white money thinks that you aren't looking after their beep, they will take their beep to Platteville, which by the way is a city in crisis. They will take their blank to Pike Road and you won't have blank. Okay? So that's just a little <laughs> bit of what he actually said out of his own mouth. So listen to it for yourself and read the story, but holy cow. Yeah, and here's another one that's really, I think, the, the biggest heater. Because I'm not going to tear up one single effing conversation with the oh. governor or lieutenant governor about Maxwell Gunner. Because guess what? I don't know nobody who works in Maxwell Gunner except for the people I have to meet as mayor. Reed continued. I don't know nobody there. So if that blank is so important to y'all, then y'all better do some blank that's important to me. So Maxwell is an extremely important piece of the Montgomery economy, and the Montgomery mayor is basically just playing like, I don't know nobody over there. don't matter to me. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. Um, 
you know, and 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 again, kind of to do what Allison did with with Mac being the devil's advocate here. A lot of the stuff that he's saying, I mean, Montgomery would be a tough city to be a mayor of, right? There's a lot of stuff. Stuff he's saying that's maybe not necessarily wrong that, you know, uh, if, if he's not doing his job, people will up and move to Pike Road and they will up and move to to, to Prattville. Right. Probably more Pike Road than Prattville right now or maybe Wetumpka. But um, it, he, they're real challenges. And, you know, it's been the, the feedback's been really interesting. Joey spent the entire radio show yesterday talking about it. And you had a, a mix of people that were just in outrage about what he said and other people that were like, well, I mean, he's got a point. Like, what he's saying isn't necessarily wrong. It's how he said what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it, to have uh, a mayor, again, I've I've been known to drop a, a cuss word when I stub my toe or get excited. I, I am I'm not perfect with profanity, but for this type of casual, you know, profanity, just just crazy like that. Um, you know, in a mayor, I think it's kind of unbecoming. Um, I'm just reading more of it. It's just, yeah, it's, don't you think the other part of it is yes, those citizens of Montgomery probably realize the ones that are saying, well, he has a point. I think the part that troubles me is not only that this was put out there, that's everybody's been caught on a hot mic. If you're in the public, that's going to happen to you. So you have to be careful. But it's that he's claiming victimhood status on now, the flip side. Yeah. That's bothersome. That's what really, I'm like, really? You said it. Just own it. Yeah. Like, I'd have f- far more respect for you if you said, you know what? I said it. I was having a bad day. I'm sorry. Moving on. Yeah. Now it's become a story that's got legs. Yeah. So who released the tape? Because I haven't read the story either. Some guy. I don't know. And so I had caught wind of it early on. Someone had told me, hey, there's a tape floating around keep your eyes open for it i tried to find it couldn't find it um whatever and then all of a sudden uh this basically mass text you know not there wasn't a bunch of people in the text but like all of a sudden i was texting craig hey did you get this because i got it and then i was texting joey did you get it and jeff was texting us hey did you get it and so it apparently went out to a whole bunch of media people um and um and and it was the the audio clips of of what he was saying and so um, where was he when he said it? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know all that. I'm, uh, according to him, he was meeting with, um, some Montgomery citizen. I don't know. The, the, the story today was there was two, two, it was basically what is the city's response? And then what was his response? So we did two stories again today on that. Um, his response was, you know, this is nothing but extortion. I'm just being extorted. You know, I had a conversation with a guy that was concerned about this, that, and the other, and I just told him, you know, it's very, a very strange response. Um, like she said, there was no owning uh, up to it. Yeah, I said that. I shouldn't have said that. It was wrong. I was frustrated. I shouldn't have. It was, you know, um, people were trying to extort me. That was his response. Maybe they are. I mean, but you still said it. Yeah. So yeah. It, nobody made you say those things. Right. Yeah. Um, who knows what their motivation is in leaking this audio. I'm sure there is one, but it kind of rolls into the black student union at Auburn story, which is like, what if, what if this had been a white mayor saying, I don't know. I I'd hate how everything turns black and white, but it's where we live right now. It's the, it's, it, they've forced us 
I don't know who they are into this place where we have to consider that and where I didn't see color. I didn't, I mean, I really, I have two brown kids. I mean, you're as much black as you are. I don't, I don't know, whatever. I don't, I don't really care. But now it's like every situation I'm always extremely aware and it, and you, it's just forced us in this place that I never thought we would be again in America, Mm -hmm. especially I thought we had come so far. Um, and I don't want to be naive in that, but I also like, it's almost like we've just swung way too far the other way where why can't we just say the people of Montgomery, there are certain people in Montgomery right. that don't support this or that won't. I, I don't know. It's very confusing right now and I hate it. I really do. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's a good transition into the, the Auburn Plainsman thing, but, yeah. uh, I think you're, you're exactly right. Um, Again, that's one of those ones you guys really need to just go listen to the clips for yourselves. It's I'll read one last thing because I thought it was worth worth mm-hmm. noting. This is uh don't don't ever tell me that I'm on effing TV, Reed continued. Every time I'm on effing TV, I got somebody from New York or LA call me about how can they invest in G D Montgomery. You think MFers around here are gonna invest in Montgomery? You think I expect the descendants of Confederate soldiers? effing investing in Montgomery beyond what's good for them. They give you some charity. They'll give you some charity. They'll do something a little nice over here at Valiant cross Academy where I'm on the board, but will they ever really invest in systemic change? Hell effing. No, they're not going to invest in it. So don't ever mix up what I'm doing. And here's, here's the kicker. You haven't seen a scientist as diabolical as me because no one is coming into this with what I have. Mm-mm-mm. that's fun you just that's just not fair i mean not that life is fair but like that is such a bad if that is your you're a mayor of a city that represents Why did you even run for office all types of people and if you can't legitimately represent them if that is your view of white people we're not we're not working towards unity right. we're we're just well, and if you can't sell the people that live there, because there's a whole bunch of people in Old Cloverdale and off Bell Road and Taylor and Vaughn and all these places that's very much in Montgomery and people have chosen to stay there yeah. because they want to invest in the community and they, they want to stay there. And if you can't get them to invest in the community, but you can dupe some person from L.A. or New York into investing in it, is that you see what I'm saying? It's rather yeah. than doing what's necessary to get the people who live there that have proven that they haven't left right. to go to Pike Road in Prattville yet. If you can't get them to invest, well, maybe it's because you actually have real problems that need to be fixed. But you can go, you know, find a bleeding heart liberal in Los Angeles that can, you know, come in and, and invest. But I don't know. The the whole thing's weird. But but again, to me, the the kicker, you haven't seen a scientist as diabolical as me because no one has come into this with what I have. And the only thing I can think of is is the fact that he was raised by Joe Reed and he has this whole wealth of how to do politics, you know, generationally. Um, I don't know, but that's definitely. Hmm. So, I mean, I've seen cocky people refer to themselves as a lot of things. I'm the baddest, you know, Mm -hmm. think about Muhammad Ali jumping around the ring. I'm the baddest. I'm the fastest, you know, you know, whatever. I've never heard of anyone describe themselves as a diabolical scientist. That's very interesting. And you know what it makes me think of is the times that we have talked about Scott or talked with Scott, you know, years ago on his push cards when he was running for office and then getting to Montgomery and the same Montgomery people saying to him, you don't really believe the things you put out there, do you? 
I mean, we really mm-hmm. are seeing in McCutcheon, and I don't know him, but we are seeing who he is. We saw who Hubbard was. Now we see who he is. So it's up to people. Is this what you want to continue? Really or not? I don't yeah. know. I don't know at this point what people care about, but I think it's that old saw is true. When people tell you who they are, believe them. Yeah. It's good. Well, <clears throat> speaking of what if the shoe was on the other foot with the race issue, uh, probably it might maybe our most read story ever at eighteen nineteen news was that we covered uh, the Auburn Black Student Union had a group me, which is basically a communications platform where everyone in the group talks to each other, and they had a list of was it two hundred and fifty racial slurs for white people. Now I know I'm supposed to be offended because they're racial slurs, but I was dying laughing as I read them. Some of them were really good. Sour cream we- citizen. <laughs> We did palm colored folk, <laughs> no purpose flower, bleach monkey. Yes. Uh, El- elbow, elbow crust. crust. Elbow, elbow crust. crust was good. Um, what else? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, Scott we was really so offended by Creaker. Oh, he did not like Creaker at all. Yeah. No. But <clears throat> point being, there's a group of people of a different race that spend an inordinate amount of time coming up with insults about someone based on the color of their skin they're involved in it, and it, it appears to be a, a school-sponsored group, and they're spending this much time, and nothing has happened to them. It doesn't look like from a you know from a, a consequence perspective. And the double standard is the story. Right. What if the white union student union Auburn white student union had a group me text with a two hundred and fifty racial slurs that were derogatory about black people? Sugar sardines. Sugar Sorry, sardines. Sorry, that's pretty yes. good. That's a good one. But honestly, like what what we know what would happen. They would immediately not only would they be removed from school, the media would be all over it. They would never be able to work or get a job anywhere ever again. They would be I mean, it would be, be they would be ostracized, they'd be doxxed, they would um <clears throat> and so the Auburn Plainsman comes in uh the Auburn Plainsman comes in and basically gives them a pass uh and says, Well, that's nothing like you know, like you know, racial slurs against black people that come from, you know, the history of systemic racism. Blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah, here's blah, what it blah, says. Blah. It seems that for the most part, everyone is in agreement that a Google document of anti-white racial slurs is in no way, shape or form the same as the historic, systematic and structural racism that has produced the type of racial slurs black people have had to endure for centuries. I mean, so it just, you're... <sighs> There's this right. idea as a, I, I said it last time in our show, there's this idea that if you're black, that you cannot be racist. Yeah. And that idea is needs to go and jump in a lake because it's not true. Yes. It is revealing that the human heart is deceptively wicked and who can know it. But this idea that you're right, if you had a list of, if this the shoe were on the opposite foot, it would, oh my gosh, all hell would have broken loose. But this idea that it's white guilt, and that's why we're not going to do anything about this. Yeah. We're not going to hold them uh, uh, accountable. Like, really? You Really? You have that little respect? Yeah. To not say to your fellow human that we don't want to be divided anymore? Why can't you say this is completely unacceptable? We're not going to talk about one another that way. But and they won't do it. Racism was almost over in like 2005. I think Dave Chappelle was at his peak with the Chappelle show. 
me and my black friends and a bunch of other white friends would, you know, not that you should do this, would smoke a bunch of weed and watch the Chappelle show. Oh, this is. And okay. we would just bust up laughing all together, right? Blacks, whites, Mexicans, Asians. We were all just die laughing and we were friends and we went and hung out and the thought of racism was not even a thing, right? Right. And then all of a sudden Obama gets in office in 2008 and just starts stoking those racial flames because yeah. what is Marxism if it's not, you know, you you break everything into oppressed oppressor and then you then you take all the oppressed groups, perceivably oppressed groups, and then you lump them into a voting base and then you used the oppressed as a voting block that launches you into power and then you promise the oppressed, you know, relief of their oppression um, to stay in power and do the things that you want, which is classic Marxism. That's what he did. Ferguson, all the stuff that happened under, you know, in that time period um, is what it is. So it's just, it's ridiculous. I, you know, uh, I don't think racial slurs against black people are funny. I do think racial slurs about white people are funny. So maybe there's some disparity in my head or the fact that I just don't care. And maybe I've just been, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think, turning. well, I think the difference in why we think it's, well, we can laugh at it is because it doesn't have the historical weight of the a lot of systemic racism. Well, <laughs> gotcha. But you're right. It, I mean, it, it doesn't have the same. Um, when kids in school, when I was younger, called me names, they, it was not a pleasant, you know, whatever. It was meant to hurt me. And, um, and it did when you're little and you don't know how to categorize this and you're like, oh, they're just mean. You don't know that when you're little. Yeah. But I think that, yeah. So I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I would sum it up as any hatred is not funny. I didn't sense hatred in the slurs. What I sensed in the slurs was literally just being funny. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe some of the slurs that we've heard are historic and really had hatred behind them. And maybe that's why we wouldn't see them as funny. Wait. But black, I'm talking. I know. Can I finish? Sorry, I got Can an I idea. finish? Yeah. Can I finish? Okay, okay. Is this hard? Okay, go. All right. Now you made me forget what I was going to say. No, but but black racism towards white people is awful. White racism towards black people is awful, right? And so, um, you know, while those slurs may have been funny, the the against white people. I've seen racism from black people against white people, you know, and it's so weird in the way that the mental gymnastics we have to do to hold the line. I have a cousin who lives in Denver and he's, you know, full blown Marxist train, right? Went anyway. And it's, it's horrible. It breaks my heart, but you know, he was walking through this neighborhood and these like five black dudes jumped out and beat the crap out of him and robbed him. I mean, beat the crap out of him and literally called him a bunch of white racial slurs while they were beating the crap out of him, said they beat him up because he was white, which happens ad nauseum in this area of Denver yeah. that like literally to get into the gang, you got to go beat up random white people. Right. And so that happens and he got beat up. And I'm like, dang, man, that's crazy. And he goes, yeah, well, white guy walking in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's my fault. And I'm like, Wow. So it's your fault. Yeah, man. Based off this intersectionality chart, yeah. I mapped it out and it says, yeah, it's actually my fault. So I'm, I shouldn't be so oppressive and I wouldn't have got beat up. No. My aha moment and what I was trying to say is that I think maybe it goes back to your thing that drives you nuts, that it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, it's like I can make fun of your haircut, which I actually think it looks really good. Anyway, 
lies. But I do. It I do. Nice. I do. But then somebody else comes in and makes fun of your haircut and maybe it's not taken the same way. So like with this list of anti-white racial slurs, I think they're kind of funny. I I don't know what their intention was. All I know is that if it had been a bunch of white kids saying black racial slurs, the um, the the end result of this would be very different. And Radically all I'm asking different. for, and we talked about this, is just fairness. Level just tell me what the rules are, right. what the yeah. rules are, and we'll play by them. Don't bring systemic historical right. oppression into the argument. And it's like, no, if we're ever going to make it through this, it, it needs to be, it's the same on this side as that right. side. As a matter of fact, there's not sides anymore. It's us. It's that's us. Right. right? That's, and so yeah. I think that's well it. Said. All right. You've been waiting for it. Revival. <laughs> bring okay, us up to date on the revival, Allison. I don't. I I just want to know what your revival means. Like, I get do you, excited when I hear about revival. No, you're 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 lying. Are you saying I'm being condescending? I'm saying. Listen, did what, you just call me a liar? Hell, here's the situation. Here's the situation. So it broke out at Asbury. I have a couple of friends who went up there to see what was happening. Which this um, is a Methodist. This is a Methodist, Methodist university. university. I think it's important to. Um. So Why? neighbor and high school discipleship leader went to see what was going on own eyes, very happy for that, read, read what Steve Dace had to say about it, and he sent his pastor up there too. Um, so I'm very interested because it is breaking out. Uh, it is happening at my alma mater, Go Dogs, at Samford. I haven't been there. I don't know. I'm very interested in your opinion about revival. The revival. only reason I bring it up is because it's like, you know, Stanford's a Baptist. It doesn't matter. I don't care about denominations, but it's happening. It's not like one. It's happening it's with Catholics. Baylor? It's happening with every. No. So it's happening across den denominational lines. Absolutely. Which is fantastic. Oh. So here's the deal. Flat out. I hate you guys so much. No. Um, revival is something that is widely misunderstood, especially in the South. Okay. There are great revivals throughout history that were objective and measurable, where all three of the jurisdictions, the spirit was breathed into and created radical change in family discipleship and the family government. It happened. It, there was a revival in churches and church government, and there was a revival in the in the civic sphere, and it changed it changed everything, and nothing was ever the same again. There's been revival close to on par with the great historic revivals that are measurable throughout history. Martin Lloyd-Jones does great series on revival and these big, massive, like, earth-changing, history-changing revivals. Um, and, and there's in Birmingham in the 70s with Frank Barker and all these things. There was a met with Woodlawn and all that. That was a real revival. It was different. It was, it was something that was significant. But in Alabama, you can go to Auburn on a Tuesday – and they say, we're having revival tonight. And there's a tent. Revival tonight at six. That's not a revival, right? You, you can't say we're having a revival. So hold on. I'm not saying that's what's happening at Asbury. No, I'm not no, saying that's I what's know. happening at Stanford. Yeah. What I'm, what the, the point I'm trying to make is that there's a there's an overall misunder, like a uh, lack of understanding about what revival is. And that's where my revival, right, is where that comes from is those tent revivals. and whatever. every time. But... Are there people sometimes in those tent revivals that they're calling revival that that's not what it really is? That's not really revival. But are there people at those tent revivals where people come to Jesus and they come down and give their life to the Lord and they live a changed life, right? It's more of an altar call. It's a preaching with an altar call. Happens all the time. It's not revival. Revival is 
unbelievably earth-shattering, earth-shaking, pouring out of God's spirit on a land and a people where there's nothing that they can do. They are going to bend their knee to King Jesus, period, and it changes everything forever. The other thing, it's not suspicious, it's not whatever. This has been me, like, I, I have friends in the Reformed community, Reformed faith, Presbyterian, Reformed Baptist, that are just critical of anything. Kanye West looks like he comes to Jesus. He, he can't come to Jesus. He can't. He, that's not real. And it's like, why can't he come to Jesus? Because he's rich? Because he's like, like, because he's a rapper? Like, why can't he? And then Kanye comes out and the, the Christ is king or Jesus is Lord, which whatever the name of the album, this first album came out. And I was like, this is more theologically sound than anything. Caleb it's actually puts really out. good. It's actually it's really freaking good. good. And come to find out, he was going to a little church that was pastored by a guy that that graduated from the Master's Seminary, which is what John MacArthur's over. And Kanye West is starting to talk about expositional preaching. He's like, man, I, he was on Joe Rogan. He's like, man, I don't like no sauce in my preaching. I just went line by line right out of the Bible. And I was like, mm, yeah, right? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> But is Kanye also being an idiot right now? Yes. yes but does yes. that mean he didn't get saved? Right. And so the point being, anytime something appears to happen in a public space for King Jesus, a lot of reformed people immediately like throw stuff on it. They're like, that's not real. That can't be real. And so that's happening with this revival stuff with Asbury. And, and so they're saying, oh, this isn't real revival. This is a joke. Blah, 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 blah. But then you also have the other people that like anytime anything happens, they're like, oh my God, it's whatever. And, and it's so it's, it's the two ditches of mm. it could be anything. And they're going to say it's, it's, it's definitely God. It's mm -hmm. definitely everything. I'm the, let's give it time. I'm really encouraged by what happened with Kanye, but let's give it time. I'm really encouraged to see something happening that's getting this much press coverage that's it literally revolves around the repentance of sin and the professing of King Jesus and it's happening and, and it's obviously stirring hearts and hopefully lives are being changed. And there's been two weeks of media coverage about a bunch of kids getting down on their knees, praying to God. Absolutely incredible. Really, really good. The flip side of it is in revival, real revival. Have you guys ever heard of Jonathan Edwards sermon centers in the hands of an angry God? Absolutely. Revival typically comes when you begin to preach against sin and they feel the weightiness of their sin and they repent of their sin because they feel the judgment and anger of God that is against the wickedness that pumps through their veins that they know that they're guilty of and they feel the weight of it and all they can do is drop to their knees and cry out to Jesus to save them from the absolute consequence that they know their sin is, which is eternal damnation and destruction under the weight of God, right? And that drives them to their knees and they understand the weight of it. And when they understand how sinful they are and how holy God is, that's a chasm that cannot be put together. And the only thing that can connect those things is Jesus in the middle and that there's a great need for Jesus there. The only thing that threw me off a little bit about Asbury and Samford and everything, I know more about the Asbury than I do Samford, is that it was like, Jesus loves you. And they're like, oh my God, Jesus loves me. I'm saved. And it's like... I mean, I hope you are. I really do. But I think that that it's a very shallow, potentially shallow. I wasn't there. Potentially shallow gospel being preached. And in historic revivals, what you hear, what you see, what you read is that the pastors were preaching on wickedness and on sin and people felt the weight of their sin and they were driven to their knees and they cried out in repentance and they were changed and their lives were never the same. And the fathers went home and they shepherded their families. The pastors went and preached courageously from the pulpits. They ministered, uh, they preached the word faithfully, uncompromisingly, and I pray to God that happens. 
and that civil magistrates repented and began to rule in a way that was congruent with the scriptures and the entire everything was changed because of it. So that is what I believe real revival is. And there's no way to know if this one was real or not. Only time will tell. Right. And so um, I don't know where the revival came from other than to just bring some focus on it. But I had a few thoughts. You want to respond? I can I can tell you do. You want to go first? Well, from the people that I trust that were on the ground, the repentance of sin was happening, which was awesome because that was the thing that I was interested in hearing from people that I have known basically (laughs) a very long time. Repentance was happening. Mm, I love it. And so when I read that, I was like, okay. Praise God. This is really awesome. And this from my childhood discipleship leader, whom I adore and I trust, and still I call when I need something prayed over or prayed for, she will pray. And so they felt led to go. So that was the part that was very encouraging. I was encouraged to see at Sanford, again, go dogs, uh, that there was leadership happening. There was preaching happening. I don't know what they were preaching on, but the thing that I'm seeing that's coming out of it is you are absolutely correct is the repentance of sin. Yes, Jesus loves you, but until you repent and turn from your sin, you are the same as when you walked in two weeks ago. And so my prayer is that people are recognizing, like Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips because they've seen God and they're wrecked. And when you see God and you're wrecked over it, your life will be changed and it will spread like fire. My prayer is that that is exactly what's going on because we have mentally kids that are in college right now struggling with mental illness. They're struggling with suicide. They're struggling with drug abuse. They're struggling with loneliness, like all of it. And and I pray God that this is what's happening. Can you imagine being a teenager in college right now? And you guys both have kids that are in college right now. I couldn't imagine. Mm -mm. I mean, things were bad. Like we did drugs and were promiscuous, but it's nothing compared to what they've been through with high school and indoctrination Mm -hmm. and everything else. And then Uh, COVID losing college, you know? Yeah. 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 Crazy. Allison, what do you got? Well, at first I would like to say that I actually agree with you. Really? Could you say that again? My <clears throat> something was wrong with my headphone. No, Could you really, say that, that again into tough. the microphone? I tried loudly? to just flow it and not think about it too much, but that was that I do because my initial reaction is to kind of because I grew up, I became a Christian in a Baptist church, like very Southern Baptist church. Yeah. I'm forever grateful um for that. But we had revival and it happened like two nights in a row and it literally was in a white tent and it was from six to eight, you know. Yeah. So I fight the urge to go, oh my God, okay, what, what? And I went to Sanford too. So like, I know some of the people that I know how they can be and like, oh, we're going to go start playing some music. And then, oh, and then I'm hoping oh, 10 Charles people. Finney revival. But- yeah, and, and it's like, but I have to fight that because yeah. that's limiting God, you know, and, and you don't need a preacher. Like the Holy Spirit is so much bigger. Amen. You can, you can be repentant and turn from sin, just sitting outside under the stars and God can pierce your heart so I have to be so careful to not judge what's happening because who knows where this spreads. If God changes the lives of those kids who then go on to have families and it just continues. So I challenge us who are naturally skeptical. Yeah. And I mean, you, you just, you're so much sweeter than us. So she's more mature than both of us. She, it's uh, not I, even close. I'm not, I'm not really, I'm really not, but she, you know, I'm glad she said a lot too. Cause sometimes like, I know whatever she says is going to be gold, and sometimes she won't force her way into the belligerent two of us. Yeah. So I'm glad that you did that, and it was very, very, very good. It was good. We're usually more like black coal. 
Black coal? Does this have to do with the, the union at Auburn? No, I just, okay. oh gosh, you can't say black coal. But anyway, I do I do think, and I hope this is real, and I actually was going to say we should go on location. Let's go. go for like it. go do some sort of I mean, something. I think that this is one of my you have to uh, go. friend's children who's posting things. And so I'm very, I'm so excited because you're right. God doesn't need anything. He can even use fake revivals. We're not saying right. that this is a fake revival. Right. God doesn't need any of it. And that's the most beautiful thing of all is when we realize he doesn't need us at all. Yeah. yeah. But he chooses to love us and pursue us anyway. And that is what our prayer is, that this yep. is what's happening. Amen. And Stephanie Smith made a great point, uh, president of the Alabama Policy Institute now, um, on, on Facebook. You know, it's a shame that we pray for revival and then when it happens, we criticize it. And, you know, that happened with Roe v. Wade. I had the guys from Life on Wheels in here, and I was just talking about how Roe v. Wade, I never believed Roe v. Wade would be overturned. I never believed Roe v. Wade. He goes, and so we finished the podcast, and Ed looks at me. He says, then why were you praying for it? Mm. I was just like, ugh. So this is another one of those moments. And so um, wait and see. Pray that it's real. It sounds like there's real repentance of sin. That's incredible. And and again, I said from the moment 1819 started, Tim James didn't win, but Tim James said he sensed that God was on the move. I wrote early on about Aslan being on the move, which is just another terminology for God is up to something. He's yeah. doing something. I am very optimistic in my eschatology. I believe that God is going to move and he's going to do something and we're going to get to witness it and be part of something that people will look back on for thousands of years and be like, wow, look what God did. Yeah despite those people and we're despite those people but I'd, I'd like to live in such a way that it's not despite of us right that we actually played a part but we've got a we've got to run behind the scenes content coming soon the sexual perversion and indoctrination of our children in the public schools you're not going to want to miss that segment until next time put your trust in god and keep your powder dry mm -hmm.